Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twit Photo with Catherine Hall and Leo Laporte. Episode 48, recorded March 13th, 2012, Bill Frakes. Twit Photo is brought to you by Ford, featuring Curve Control to help protect against crashes on curves. Look for Curve Control available in the 2013 Ford Taurus and learn more at Ford.com slash cars slash Taurus. It's time for Twit Photo, my favorite time of the week when we get to talk to great photographers about their work, their art, their practice. And uh, we've got a great photographer this week. But before we start, let me introduce the host of our show, who is in her own right a wonderful photographer, Catherine Hall, CatherineHall.net, with a C. Nice yeah, to see you. <laughs> We're purple today. Yes, we are. We coordinated. Love the purple. <laughs> Uh, and we've just lost our guest. Well, we're going to call him right back. But while we're calling him right back, why don't you tell us who we're going to talk to today? Well, he's quite accomplished in many, many areas. He was a um, sports illustrator, staff photographer. He um, has clients that range from Apple to Nike. And he got the coveted Newspaper Photographer of the Year Award. And he was on the Pulitzer Prize winning team for... Um, a story back when he was working with the Miami Herald. Well, and one of the reasons uh, Bill Frakes, who is going to join us in a moment, uh, we're having trouble with his Skype, is he is actually on, on assignment. assignment. He's uh, shooting, of course, the, the March Madness, the NBA or the um, NCAA uh, tournament, and he's in Nebraska right now in a Marriott shooting. I presume the Cornhuskers, but I don't know. We'll ask yeah, him as we get him back on. Yeah, he shoots 315 days a year, so. Wow. I guess to get him, it's going to be on a shooting day. There's, there's no way around it. Yeah, yeah. that's what it yeah. seems to be. Yeah. All right, we're still dialing him up. Uh, we have some, uh, this is uh, strawhatvisuals.com. This is his company, Straw Hat Visuals. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, there's some great video. This is behind-the-scenes video uh, from Straw Hat of... Uh, of it, it, this is so cool to look at this. I know. I can't how, wait to How he sketches out his shot. it out. It's pretty impressive. Hey, Bill Frakus, thanks for joining us on uh, Twit Photo. Hey, Leo, I have to figure out how to mispronounce your last name if you're going to mispronounce Frakes. <laughs> Frakes. You can call me Laporte. I think it's great, Bill, that you put these uh, videos up uh, of how you work. It's just fascinating to watch. Is that because of your work with Kelby that you started focusing on that, or is it something you've always done is shown people how you do it? Well, I'm... You know, Scott's got a pretty great thing going on with his online training programs. But no, this didn't have anything to do with Scott. Uh, I've been doing this well before I, I did a class for Scott. You just like you just. I, this is one of the things I admire about photographers. Some, a lot of times they they are very giving. They share how they do stuff, even though that it feels like that's a that's a, you know your secret sauce. No, I'm I'm not uh, terribly worried about it. You know, if uh, if. By my explaining something to somebody makes them able to do a better job than me, then they should have had the job in the first place. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. That's a confident that's a confident I like guy. that. <laughs> that's a guy. So what you're on assignment doing March Madness right now? I am, actually. What's the game uh, tonight? I don't have a game tonight. Um, March Madness, uh, the first game, the games are either Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. But, oh, okay. Uh, but in my line of work, we, we have to show up a little bit early and do a few things 
in advance before the, the games start. So what are you doing today? What, are you, what, what kind of scouting are you doing? Well, you know, for us to, for when Sports Illustrated is a basketball game, something like March Madness, and I can only really speak for myself, not for the other photographers, because everybody has their own rhythm and their own way of doing things, but we do quite a few remote cameras. Oh, interesting. And at this, and at this particular venue um, where I'm at in Omaha, we don't have the building. It was not lit for us, so we're lighting the building. Wow, that takes a while. Yeah, that takes a lot of gear and a lot of time. It takes a lot of hard work. <laughs> Tell us what what you're going to do for lighting. I mean, I, I, it's almost unimaginable to light a basketball stadium. How many how many how many uh, lights are you bringing here? Four, just four. Mm-hmm. Four. And are they going off with all cameras, or do you have different cameras with different lights? <laughs> no, all, all the... <clears throat> First of all, it's we use big lights when we do an arena like this. No so. kidding. <laughs> yeah, so tell us, what lights are you using here? What do you... We're using, we're using 2,400-watt second quad heads. Oh, wow. And I think that I have a couple different kinds of reflectors with me. I think I'm going to use the 10-inch shiny collared reflectors because I think that's the coverage I want from the light. I'll know more after we get a chance to, to test them, but we're putting them all in place. And remember, in a building like this, it's a big arena. I don't know what it seats exactly. I'm, I'm going to guess 15,000 people yeah. probably. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I've only been in the arena a couple times before. It's not, it's not my home arena. Uh, but uh, So we'll have these up in the, up in the catwalks, and, and they'll be uh, probably 95 feet from the floor, I'm guessing. Hmm. That's just, you know, if I drop, if I went straight down, if you dropped a line straight down, it'd probably be 95 feet. I don't know. Could be 60, could be 120. I haven't measured it. But uh, so we'll put those four lights up in the corners. Then we'll use a, a radio system and we'll set it so that the, all the cameras are capable of syncing with the flashes. Uh, when I fire them, I'll have I have different combinations that I can fire through different triggers so I don't have to fire every camera on every play. So but, they, uh, they'll let you use these as flashes. These aren't continuous. They'll let you use these as flashes. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. I would think that would be distracting yeah. uh, to the players. Well, they've been doing this for, you know, I don't know, 55 or 60 years now. <laughs> They're used to it. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> these college kids today, they ought to be used to it. You'd think so. <laughs> so all this gear, I mean, he's, he's traveled to every, all 50 states and then 125 countries. Do you bring a bobtail truck a with you? you're a gearhead. You're a crazy gearhead. How do you get this stuff around? Well, I mean, there's different ways. You know, you, you put it in cases and some of it goes on a plane with us. Some of it, uh, some of it goes uh, with a shipping company. They'll, you know, I call them and they come to wherever we are, and they pick it up and take it to the next place. Would you ever check anything on the plane? I check six bags coming here. Wow. And what do you use to protect it? Are you using what kind of hard cases? Well, I use different kinds of cases for that. I mean, for, for the camera bodies that I'm shipping under the plane, uh, I would put those in Pelican cases. Mm-hmm. Sixteen, I think it's a 1652 is the case that we use. It might be 1650, something like that. It's a big, big Pelican case. It's pretty robust. It's got high-density foam inside. And sometimes we ship, you know, things in those. For the most part, any camera I'm going to have in my hand is going to go on the plane with me. The remote cameras, sometimes we have to ship them under the plane. Sometimes we ship them, you know, FedEx or UPS in advance. Just depends. Uh, I ship most of my 
my gear, most of the the support materials, you know, the the clamps, the ball heads, the the lights, all that stuff, I ship in Kata cases. In fact, there's a great video uh, at, at uh, Straw Hat Visuals of uh, of the cases that you're lo- you're loading up. I know. I'm he, go in back the and show that. Shows, yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive so tell us about it. the cameras you're using. Well, I use Nikon's for the most part. Mm-hmm. And how many? Uh, <laughs> That's a crazy thing. Well, I have a lot of them. Um, I have. Uh, I'm transitioning cameras right now. I I was using. My principal hand camera for the last, I guess, two and a half or three years. And by hand camera, I'm differentiating that from a camera that I would have on a remote platform. Um, the camera that I normally have in my hand, the bulk of the time, is the Nikon D3S. S, yeah. As in Sam, yeah. uh, which is the, the low-light new it's – the, it it's the most recent of the D3 cameras. They have a D3, right. a D3X, and a D3S. Um, the D3S, I have – I, I own seven of those, and those are the ones that you would see. I know. Those are the ones you would see me on the sidelines with at a football game or something like that. Uh, I have, I use a lot of uh, D3s for remote. I have, well, I either have, I, I don't really know how many D3s I have right now. Uh, a month ago, I had 27, um, but I've been, I've been, you know, selling some of those and buying. Uh, new cameras. I I just put in a, a pretty big order for D4s and D800s, mm-hmm. and I and I'm just you know at some point uh, having you know having 27 D3s didn't make sense for me anymore. Not when I was going to have because the D3s that I have I prefer to the D3s just a little bit. So I'll I'll rotate the D4s into my hand cameras as soon as they deliver. And I just got an interesting message from my good friend Jeffrey Snyder at Adorama that he was shipping me four of them for wow. next week, which is a good thing. Adorama must love you. I should I point, at this, at this juncture, I want to point out that Bill is a staff photographer for, for SI. Yeah. So uh, do, do, does SI buy these cameras? Do you buy these cameras? How does that work? Well, that's kind of a personal question. If we can want to, if you want to get into that kind of thing, I'm going to have to discuss your personal finances too. But in this particular case, I'll go ahead and answer it. These okay. four cameras I bought myself. Wow, yeah. But I imagine that you have a budget they, they from must... Sports Illustrated for, for gear, right? Well, Sports Illustrated has pool gear. Right. Just like but you don't want to use that crap. No, I use it all the time. Oh, okay. But, but I do, you know, I also want to have cameras of my own. Right, uh, sure. You know, I, the, the guys at Sports Illustrated are pretty pretty conscientious group of guys. And, you know, they're some of the most talented photographers and most responsible people I know. So I think that, by and large, that the uh, the pool gear is fairly well maintained. I oh, mean, it's good. it's going to take it's going to take more of a beating, I think, than some some may because we, you know, in any given year we travel hundreds of thousands of miles, and that gear has to get shipped sure, around. It's sure. not like you're putting in your car and going down to you know the so corner and shooting. Are the remote cameras also uh, D threes? The remote cameras are, that I'm using right now are mostly D threes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. What you know? You, uh, I'm, I'm interested that you're buying some D800s. Mm-hmm. Um, what What are your hopes for the D800 body? Well, I I think it's a. Uh, uh, I think it's a pretty. Uh, it's I mean it's got a it's got a better footprint uh, than a lot of things. Um, it's lightweight, so you know I will not use it most likely with the finder on it. I'll use it just as a as a smaller body that I'll be able to carry around. And 
it's uh, I mean it's a fairly amazing camera yeah. you know yeah. it's it's got a huge megapixel count it's got it's got a full frame sensor I mean let me be clear about that it has what we would con- traditionally consider a 35 millimeter sensor right uh, every sensor is technically full frame because the full frame is replicated but uh, this is you know if if you had a 35 millimeter lens on a film body the d4 and the d800 would both show that as opposed to like say the d7000 which would be put a, a 1.5 crop on it um so i'm i plan to use the i bought a couple of the d800s and a and a d800e which are uh uh which is a slightly different body it's got some some filters that are different on it and it and it it has a different resolution slightly uh but the uh I expect to use it for for portraiture. Some I expect to use it for video a lot. Yeah, uh, it's an amazing video camera. Yeah, yeah, seems like it. You know, I, I have very limited experience with it, but what I've seen looks pretty amazing. Yeah. So uh, we were noticing before that you do a lot of pre-planning with your shots. Can you tell us about that process? Well. Yeah, well, for sure. instance, I see we're, we're looking at the Straw Hat Visuals uh, Kata video, and you, you sketch it. Out. It looks like you sketch it out before you shoot. Something like a music video or a film, I try to. Yeah, I can't. I can't do that as precisely with a sporting event. So these are more storyboard style sketches than than. Mm, sort of, yeah. Yeah. Did you I mean, start? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Did Sorry. you start doing the sketches when you started doing more video, or is that something that you've always done with your stills as well? Well, as my career has evolved uh, from doing stills to doing video and stills, I've had to, you have to make some, uh, you have to let go of some of the control. There's some things that I physically can't do anymore. It used to be when I was making a still photograph, pretty much everything that, that happened inside the finder I was I was handling. You know, I could... Uh, you know, I would, the cameras would be preset. And, and when you do a job like mine, I do the, you know, one of the things that I do at Sports Illustrated, I've, I've done the finish line at every track, at every major, you know, track event, like the Olympics, for example, since 1992 for the magazine. Oh, and I probably will do it in, in London. I mean, I, I know I'm going to go to London. I just don't, I don't know what our exact oh, assignments are going to be. Steve, Steve Final, let me know about that. But for the most part, you know, I when I put those cameras up, I have a really good idea what they're seeing. Same with basketball. I can see in my mind where what all those cameras are seeing. I can just kind of anticipate, even though I'm not at that angle, I've looked through the camera, I've set the camera, I've decided what hyperfocal distance I want to select. And I've done a lot of pre-planning, and I've got years of experience. So I know basically how things are going to happen, or at least fairly close how things are going to happen. So... You know, I'm, I'm calculating all those things. I used to I used to just make a list of cameras, you know, like if I was doing a big horse race or something, I'd just make a list of cameras and angles and and how we were going to connect them and who was going to fire them or, or what, what because we use all kinds of different mechanisms for triggering these things. And I would just have a list of what I wanted to do. Well, now when you do video, you know, if you're, for me, when I'm, when I'm shooting video, there's a lot of motion. Ch- there's a lot of focus changing going on. I mean, with still cameras, if you want somebody running through the finish line at the Olympics, 
Then what you're going to do is you're going to have the camera set, the cameras, the, ver- the various cameras set it at different distances and different lengths, and there'll be different compositions. But you know at some point the runner's going to go through there. And right. you know, and you, you calculate how to set those cameras so that you get the reportage you want, the coverage you want, that you need, that, you know. I almost, but, I don't know why, I get this visual of you with a bunch of foot pedals, <laughs> each attached with a camera. I mean, how do you trigger all these uh, remote cameras? Some, obviously, assistants do some of them, but, but don't we really you? Need to get, we really need to get you out of, out of the, the studio there <laughs> into the real world. I mean, you, you've got, you know, if I had, I'm not sure exactly how big you think my feet are. <laughs> Well, how do you but, do it, Bill? How do you do it? <laughs> well, that's what I said. There's, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. Sometimes we do it with radio remotes like Pocket Wizard. Uh-huh. Sometimes Ellen Crow makes a really great little remote called the Skyport. We use that for some things. But, well, okay, so you've got a Pocket that's, Wizard, and, and do you ha- but you have like six Pocket Wizards or something. I mean, what, what do you, how, do you, how do you handle well, all these? Well, you know, this goes back to the planning and, the, and, and so on. So some of the cameras we hardwire. Some of them we put on Pocket Wizards. Occasionally... Well, we have we've written some software that allows me to put these whole things into a, you know, if if it's something that that's going to happen at a predetermined time. Like I know, for example, pretty much how fast the men are going to run in the hundred meter final at the Olympics right. within parameters. I know that they're going to cross a, a plane of focus at a certain time. Right. So when the when they start, I can trip I can trip my you know my Mac my my MacBook Pro. That's gonna it's gonna count, you know, and at four seconds it's gonna fire these cameras. No at seven seconds it'll fire these cameras. At at nine seconds they fire another set of cameras. It's always interesting to me because people I'll hear people say, Well, gee, then the photographer really didn't take the picture. Well, pretty much sure that I told the computer what to do. <laughs> you I took told the picture. Yeah. <laughs> I put the camera where it needed to be, I calculated the exposure, I knew what the reaction was gonna be, I did the compositions, yeah. I set the time. You know, the cameras didn't get out there by themselves. So that's part of the pre planning. I mean you know, like, for example, for the let's just say that the 100 meter and I think I can't remember exactly in Beijing or something. I think in Sydney, Marion Jones's race was at 920 at night. Pretty sure that was within a few minutes one way or the other. My assistant then was a guy named David Callow, tremendous photographer in his own right. One of the best sports photographers in the world. Uh, Australian guy. But we we're longtime friends. I'm sorry. I said I said 92. I meant 2000. Apologize. Sydney Olympics 2000. David was David. You know, called me up three months, be- five months before the Olympics, maybe even more than that, and said, hey, I can get an assignment on my own, but if I come and help you, I think we can do something really special, uh, and I owe you a favor. And I said, well, okay, that sounds good to me. So David, you know, didn't sh- he could have, he'd, he'd already done previous Olympics, you know, on his own credentials, but he, he came and helped me. And that was a, that was fun for us. And when David was starting the industry, I spent a lot of time helping him. And so it was a very generous and kind gesture that he did to, to help me back. Anyway, David and I went to the track at we left left our hotel at four in the morning to set up for for the day's races, the most important of which was at about nine, ten, nine twenty at night. So we put in twenty, I think twenty seven or twenty eight remote cameras. We did we had the handheld cameras set and we put in a a camera that 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 we designed and built that was a, a strip camera, and that's kind of a fancy finish line camera. It had significantly higher resolution. So that camera was something that that was designed and built 
just for my use at the Olympics. Uh, put a lot of time into R&D on it. And it made a picture that ended up winning the, the gold medal in World Press that year. It was wow. ran in Sports Illustrated as a three-page fold-out. Wow. So, you know, we take these things pretty seriously. And, and there's all kinds of different ways, you know, that we fire the cameras. And a lot of it depends on how many other, other photographers are there. If there's, you know, at the Olympics, there might be 750 other photographers there. And it's something like the men's 100 meters. They're all going to be there, or a large percentage of them. And even though I have proprietary channels on my pocket wizards, just the raw amount of radio traffic. Oh yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> it's gonna. It's, it may not interfere, so nothing fires my cameras, but it may clog the bandwidth, and so I might not. The the, cam, the, the cameras may not be able to see the signal, if you can follow that line of thought. So what happens is that, you know, in that case, I wouldn't use Pocket Wizards. If I'm by myself at an event, Pocket Wizards might be a lot easier and just as reliable as stringing cable. And for something like the Olympics, we would string cable almost every time. Unless the camera's in just such a position that we can't get to it, we would always run wire. So here's that Marion Jones picture. And you can see it's a wide, when you say strip camera, I can understand now what you're talking about. So it's capturing a very, it's a, it's a wide aspect ratio. So it is a wide yeah, ratio. so you capture her crossing the finish line, and then the also rans several meters behind. That is just an incredible just an picture. Amazing image, yeah. Yeah. Bang. And was that automatically triggered? You just knew? No, that, no, you, no. You, you triggered that one. Yeah, David. David was standing by the camera and uh, fired at a time that we'd agreed upon. You can buy this as a print, by the way. Which I'm, I think, if you were a fan of uh, track, you probably would want to. Since 92, you've been going to these, uh, these great events. You've been at the finish line of all these great events. Do you get... Well, I've been, I've been going longer than that. Just the first one I did was for Sports Illustrated. It was 92. Okay, okay. Do you get a little jaded? Or you, or you still get excited seeing these things? I mean, are you excited about the, the 2012 Olympics, about going to London? I think the 2012 Olympics will be fun. I love London as a city. Uh, it's... Uh, the competitions will be good. I mean, you know, when, when we go to... Uh, we go to an event. We're not, you know, the the amount of time I spend at the facilities and the amount of time I spend in planning and, and transportation and logistics and things like that. It's fairly pretty much eats up your entire the entire time you're there. So there's not going to be a lot of. I mean, I'm not going to be walking around London, you know, looking at Big Ben and the Tower of London and having fun. <laughs> but it, there's a lot of professional pride involved. I mean, oh, yeah. it's. Uh, there's a well. Also, you know, pressure. Of, I can tell you're a very confident guy, but there's there's pressure. You don't. You know, Mary Jones crosses the finish line once at 9:20 uh, yeah. on that at that, at that event. That's it. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, but that's what we prepare for. You know, I mean, Michael Jordan always wanted to take the last shot. Right. Right. That's Same. that's right. Thank. Yep. That's confidence. You know, when it's time, when it's time, I want to be the one pushing the button. I want to. I'm the one that I want them to trust me to to make that, you know, photo record in, you know, and I also get to have a lot of confidence because of the team I'm with. I mean, we're going to have, we're going to have a whole handful of other photographers that are going to be at that event. And, and, uh, you know, when you have the other photographers that, that will be there working with me, like Heinz Klutmeyer, Al Thielmans, John Beaver, Peter Reed Miller, uh, Simon Broody, Robert Beck, uh, Wow, I should have started. You know, I should have started writing when I when I did that. Because I don't know, I, I probably left somebody off the list there. 
But each and every one of my colleagues are, I mean, you know, David Clutho, Walter Yost. Um, You're working with the best. There's, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, I, if I forgot somebody, I'm really sorry about that. It was, I should have gone in alphabetical order and I should have started. <laughs> There's nobody on our masthead that isn't a world-class photographer. Yeah. And these guys are going to have my back. If I make a mistake, right. if I, if something, if I fail, you know, Heinz is going to get it or John McDonough is going to get it or, you know, somebody else is, somebody else is going to, Peter Reed. I mean, Peter Reed's shot around the bend from me every Olympics, I think, since, I don't know, I guess about since Methuselah was a baby, he's, we've, been, we've been doing these things together. And, and you know, and, and I have tremendous confidence, and I think they do in me too. You know, we're, we're all doing multiple remotes. We're, we're taking this very seriously. We're bringing, you know, most of, most of the guys, to get to the, to the level that you're working for Sports Illustrated regularly or any top publication, you know, you, you bring your A game all the time. There's no messing around. I mean, this is this isn't, you know, this is not just something you do for fun. I mean, when I go to the Olympics, I'm there. I'm very serious about this. I'll I'll take 20 cases of gear to London, and I'll I'll have, I mean, I've already started working on some of the things that I'm going to do for London. We're bringing some new technology, and and uh, there'll be things that that I've never been able to do before that I'll be able to accomplish in London, and that's. That's part of what you want to do. You want to you want to amuse and shock and and inform the readers each and every time. It's that's what's important to me. I mean, I'm a storyteller. I, I want to share my vision with anybody that wants to see it. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break. I want we're talking with Bill Frakes, uh, uh, Sports Illustrated staff photographer. I want to ask you what technology you're going to bring. The new technology you're going to bring to. I'm not uh, going to tell you. So you uh, well. come on. <laughs> I'm also going to ask you. you beg the question. What you do for fun? If you're this serious about your work, what do you do for fun? What do you still take pictures? We'll we'll talk about that in a second. I first. I, I I love this picture of a Cadillac here, by the way. But I but I'm going to talk about Ford right now. So so we'll All just right. we'll just take that Cadillac away and start talking about <laughs> about curve control uh, on the new Ford 2013 uh, Taurus. Uh, we, we, we were talking about uh, autonomous vehicles on uh, Twit this week, and I think the panel agreed that we're, we're really heading towards that. But people don't, you know, it makes them nervous to think of the car driving itself. And, and I've asked uh, Alan Mulally, the CEO of Ford, several times, what, about, what are you doing in the, in the labs there? And what he keeps telling me is, look, when you, when you design an airplane, he's done a few. He designed the 777 cockpit for Boeing when he was there. When you design an airplane... You give the pilot information, you assist the pilot, but you never take, you know, the control out of the pilot's hands. There's always a human in charge. And he says, I believe that's what it's going to be like for driving. We're going to put in technologies into our vehicles that make it safer, that make it easier to drive well, that help you if there's trouble coming, and that make you uh, a better driver. And this Ford Curve Control is a perfect example. 100 times every second in the new 2013 uh, Ford Taurus, it, it checks the roll rate, the yaw rate, the lateral acceleration, the wheel spade, and the steering angle of the car 100 times a second. It's looking for, uh, really what it's checking is how quickly the vehicle's turning versus how quickly the driver is trying to turn it. And of course, if you try to turn it faster than they can turn, what are you going to do? You're going to lose control of the vehicle. And that's exactly what curve control prevents. As soon as there's a problem, it reduces engine torque very rapidly, applies four-wheel braking that slows the vehicle. It can slow it quite a bit, up to 10 miles an hour per second. Wet or dry pavement, it senses the condition of the road. It senses how the wheels are responding, and it continues to correct, and that makes for a safer ride. It protects you. You cannot oversteer on curves. 
And it's one of several new driver assist technologies available on many Ford vehicles, including this new 2013 Taurus. I got to tell you, if you want to know more, go to Ford.com slash cars slash Taurus. Or we've talked before about Ford.com slash technology. These guys are hitting it out of the park. They are they are creating 21st century cars using the latest technology that makes it more fun to drive, makes it safer to drive. These are the cars you want your kids to drive. Ford.com and you too, of course. That's what I was thinking, the kids. Because when you're a kid and you don't... I'm, you know, my, this is on my mind because Henry's 17 and uh, he got his learner's permit and I've been driving around with him. He's fortunately he's a very good driver. Yeah, how is that? It's but it's scary. <laughs> it's, moments. it's scary, and it just makes me happy that he's coming into a, you know coming of age at a time when cars are so much safer than they were when I was learning to drive. Yeah, and uh, we're you know I'm I'm letting him drive the Mustang because uh, uh, you know because you're a learn, nice dad. Well, I want him to learn the stick. You know, I'm a little nervous. Henry's got a lot. He's got a lot of power. It's a V8. This car is this goes zero to sixty in five point seven seconds. You've got to drive, Henry. 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 Anyway, you get the idea. It's a lot of fun. I wish there were. I had the special edition with the brake pedal on the. And the How many times before it was? No, actually, you know what? He's actually surprisingly good. You're right. He did stall it a few times. Yeah. But not the. And he's and and he's great. And then of course he's great in the automatic transmission. I tell you, I'm just glad. You know, cars are safer than ever. And uh, and you really can thank uh, the engineers at Ford for doing an amazing job. Do you prefer sticker, manual or auto? You know, I'm now getting lazy. I, I really love driving my Ford, and I love this stick, and I love. And but uh, I'm getting lazy. I think I'm next one. I going to have. I'm looking at that focus with the, with the automatic. The yeah. automatic. So um, a couple of questions him, like, for yeah. Bill Frakes. First of all, what you said you're you're busy. You're all business when you're. Of course you are. You're, you're working for Sports Illustrated. You're at the Olympics. You're all business. That's 27 cameras to manage. When you're having fun, do you still take pictures? Do you do do photography for fun ever? Sure, it's my vocation and my avocation. That's what I like to hear. What kind of stuff do you like to shoot when you're when it's just for fun? Well, I, I like all kinds of things. I, I've been having a lot of fun playing with uh, small cameras. Um, Nikon's got a camera called the V1. Yeah. And I love that thing. I, I travel with it all the time, and uh, it comes out a lot. And, and that's a, that's I actually, a mirror, mirrorless but interchangeable lenses, right? It does have interchangeable lenses. Yeah. Um, and it, it it'll with an adapter, it'll take uh, you know regular F mount glass, which is pretty cool. Oh, so, so you're putting that 400 millimeter lens on that? Uh, <laughs> well, I haven't put a 400 on here yet, but but I did I did. Uh, throw a 35 millimeter f1.4 on there the other day Ooh, which is kind of interesting sweet. because you know yeah. uh you know because one of the things that it can do is it can run at a really high frame rate right which right. gives some interesting options yeah because it doesn't have to move that mirror out of the way yeah right and it's 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 very lightweight i mean you know i started my career as a photojournalist and uh um uh, i still think of myself that way even when i'm doing you know sports or when i'm doing the documentary things and when i shoot advertising which i do regularly they hire me a lot because they want it to look like a real picture. They want right. it to be, yeah. they want it to be in a photojournalist fashion. And, and there's nothing wrong with people that go over the top with the way they work. Um, I, sometimes I like looking at it, but a lot of times with the photographs I shoot for advertising, you couldn't tell if it was uh, made for Sports Illustrated or if it was made for an ad. Or I mean, that's that's what they want me to do. And so I still like I employ all kinds of different technologies. You know, I mean. You don't make pictures with the camera. You make pictures with your, your heart, your eye, your mind, yeah. your soul. Yeah. The camera is nothing but a transfer device to take, let you take what's inside you and multipurpose it across however many viewing platforms you wish to. And that's one of the great things about, about the video that we're doing. But, 
you know, I, I do do that. I have a four by five, a Sinar that I use um, different lenses with and stuff. I, I don't shoot nearly as much film as I used to. I used to do, I used to shoot Polaroid regularly, do a lot of nudes. Really? Uh, yeah, sure. And what do you uh, use the four by five for? Well, like I said, right now I don't use it very much because it's, you know, the the biggest problem with my career now is that I'm in motion so much that right. I don't have the luxury of traveling with things that I don't need. You know, I, one of my colleagues, Robert Beck, uh, who I think is an absolute genius, he's, he's as well-rounded and wonderful a photographer in the world, and he travels with a lot of gear. But we were in Beijing, and when we were leaving, a couple of us were going to the airport at the same time, and I had, I don't know, if Laura, Laura Heald, who works with me a lot, and I had, I guess, 16 cases of gear. And Robert and Kojo, the guy I was working with him, rolled downstairs, and they had, I don't know, about the same. And Robert had his guitar, an acoustic guitar, and he was playing it. And I thought, well, how cool is that that he thought to bring his acoustic guitar? And I said something to Laura, and she said, you know, you would have never used it because we were always too much in motion. Right. And the fact that he took some, you know, he took some, uh, I don't know what the right word is. I, uh, he took pleasure in having his guitar there, and he, and he brought it. It was important to him. And that's, you know, he's a Southern California kid, and he, well... He's older than me, so I guess he's not a kid anymore, although he sure acts like it sometimes. He's just, but he, he's, you know, he's, when you look at his work, he's joyous and ebullient, and it's, there's a lot of surfer guy in there. And, and so it just fit that he, you know, at least in my Nebraska esque vision of what a California kid would be, it just makes sense. That, uh, you know, I bet if I would have gotten into his cases, I would have found a surfboard in there too. But. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Here's, but, a great, know, here's a great shot that I'm sure wasn't shot for Sports Illustrated. We're on your website, BillFrakes.com. Okay. And it's of uh, four somewhat portly uh, golfers. Obviously, one of them just got a great shot off. It's, it's raining down. I, I love it that you still take f- sports photos. Uh, obviously, this was for fun. Unless it was – maybe it's an ad. Is this an ad? <laughs> Man, I tell you what. You know, I think, Captain, we need to start getting him into some wagers because he's not very good at this. Oh, stuff. no, really? What did I get wrong? Well, let's see. First of all, you said you're sure it wouldn't be for Sports Illustrated when, in fact, it was shot on an assignment for Sports Illustrated. Oh, my goodness. Of what? Fat golfers in their... Uh... <laughs> yeah, actually. it's. Uh, I, I hope you're prepared to feel at least a little bad. It was for a tournament at Yale. Oh! Which... Oh, no. Well, there's, that's yeah. his alma mater. That's my alma mater. Uh. Yeah, I know. I, I read about you, but you clearly didn't read about me. <laughs> I didn't learn anything there, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's uh, there's a chef in, in New Haven that... That has a, a golf tournament hosted at Yale. Oh, how funny! Uh, that the you have to be at least in this particular year. I believe the cutoff was three hundred twenty-five pounds. It might be more. <laughs> and, and the money that they raise from the tournament, they give to obesity research. That is fantastic. But this is such a great shot. I just love Thanks. it. And it feels like it feels like a fun. It feels like the kind of shot you'd do for fun. I, well, it was yeah. fun. Yeah. I had a great. Time with, I had a great time with these guys and. In the middle of the in the middle of the, the day, I, yeah. So you're talking about telling story and and how it crosses over doing your journalism coverage to your commercial work. How do you bring the story to commercial assignments? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess I usually when I'm doing a commercial assignment, they have. Uh, the art director has a pretty good idea what he wants to do. And he'll, he or she will give me some sort of a brief about what that might be. And then I just go ahead and put my spin on it. 
they kind of tell you the story in a way, right? You have to capture the story they tell. Well, it depends on the it depends on the assignment. I mean, yeah. depends I just on love this how Marion Jones shot. It depends on how good the art director is and how much how much you know what right. they pulled by the client, how much freedom they have. Right. But if it's an art director that. You know, a lot of times you'll get a sketch and they'll say, I need it to show this. Right. And, uh, and you know. This looks, this, this ad looks like, this looks like an ad. I'm, I'm going to try another guess. Let's try another wager. He's, he's wearing <laughs> a, 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 I know, Bill, that you're not seeing our video, so you can't see what I'm looking at. Again, I'm on your site. This is in the games portfolio. A guy uh, is doing the breaststroke. He's got a yellow uh, Speedo uh, cap on. Uh is that is that actual competition? You know, I don't know which exact. Oh picture shoot! Yeah, at. yeah, you can't see it, unfortunately. Uh, is it? Uh, is he coming right into me? Right at you. That was done for the for the launch of the Nikon D3s. I knew it. All right, I there finally go. got one you got right. One. I got there one. You now go. you're even. Now you're even. <laughs> so you're going to use the 800e. Oh, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Yeah, well, you're saying you're saying he's even on his guesses? Yeah. Well, no, but he's missed three already. This is the first <laughs> I'm not keeping track, but apparently but Bill I is. <laughs> yeah. All right. uh, so, do you, I mean, with I mean, you're having one of the things I noticed with your work is even when it's lit and planned and sketched out, it still has a real sense of action. Oh yeah. You know, and like we're playing the game, the, the guest game. We can't tell if it's for an ad or if it's journalist coverage. So, my question to you is, how do you bring that sense of realism? in a directed environment? You know, it's... Uh, you know, I, I really don't really know how to answer that. Um, I guess... I guess everything I do, uh, I have some control over because I spend so much time in preparation. Prep, yeah. So... If I go to the finish line at the 100 meters of the, at the, of the Olympics, I didn't know Marion was going to win by that much. Right. But that particular day, I already told you, I had 28, well, 29 cameras, 27 remotes, the strip camera. Well, actually, I had three strip cameras, so it was 30. So I had 31 cameras at the finish line. So I was ready if she looked left or looked right. I was ready if she came straight into me and had her head down. Mm. I was ready with a wide lens in case somebody out in lane eight did something unbelievably stunning and won the race because i couldn't just shoot marion i focused my efforts on marion because i thought it was going to be one of the penultimate races in the olympics and she had said she was going to win five gold medals and i didn't see any reason to think that she might not and if she did that was going to be a big deal for team usa so i i had to focus on that i had to plan for that i had to be ready for that and the same thing is true with advertising when i you know when i do a shoot like that swimmer you know ah, we had spent a lot of time finding that pool and the the guy that was swimming was a he was a from the australian olympic team and i knew he was good i had photographed him in the olympics i knew what he looked like when he swam i'd looked at videotape of how he swam we found the pool that we wanted uh, we made sure that we had the weather forecast we made sure that that we had the only thing we didn't count on was a slight wind that day and and it was i think it was there was a heated pool it was outside it was in melbourne Australia, and it was in July, which meant that it was really cold. So it was, uh, I guess it was about eight or nine degrees above, above the water, maybe, maybe, maybe seven. Oof. So every time I raised myself up, I was freezing. Yeah. And he, he wasn't doing that well either. But oh, you're in the water. Oh, yeah. I'm in the water. 
And that's the, difference, that's the difference between that picture and one you would make right. at a regular swim meet. Yes. Because that's why, that's why the angle is so low. Of course, I, of course yeah. I had a 600-millimeter lens on a, on a big Gitzo Jeez. tripod. In the water. In the water. That is yeah, so cool. about, it's about an inch and a half out of the water. Wow. Yeah, preparation, it's perfect. And I'm looking at, uh, and this is, I imagine, the kind of image you're probably going to be shooting uh, in March Madness. This looks like it's a Durham um, basketball player in black is uh, is about to step on Williams, number 20. And a, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, the lighting is perfect on this. Not just on the players, but you can see every face, the detail of the crowd it, it is, is part of what Lynn's makes this. Is this is almost a Norman Rockwell. I mean, look at this guy, you know, and the face that he's making. Everybody, there's something, This there's so many stories in this one image. It's fascinating. Okay, are you talking about the Duke image, maybe? It looks like it's Duke, yeah. Yeah, you said Durham. Yeah, but which, you know, Duke is in Durham, so there you go. That's right. It says Durham, but I see the, the player is, I think, a, a Duke player, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a... That picture was lit. Uh, I can tell. So you, then now I understand why you light the stadium. Yep. You know, other people may may make a similar picture of that, but, you know. Nobody's going to get that one. Not, not with that kind of, you know, top to bottom, you know, not with that kind of top to bottom sharpness, not with everything there side to side. I mean, you wouldn't be able to see the fans the same way. It's the depth of field in that that's making the exactly. difference. You know? I know. What, exactly. What is that? It looks like, like. F-16 or something. Mm, probably F. Yeah, I'm guessing it was probably uh, closer to 7-1. But, you know, on a, on a lens that's that wide, that's, I, I'm pretty sure that I shot that on a 28-70. to 70, uh, But now lens. I understand why you want those fast cameras, why you want the D4 and the D3S, because you need enough speed. And, and So what, what ISO are you shooting at? Oh, man. See, Catherine... Tell him. Should I? I should have bet with him again, shouldn't have I? I'm going to say it's. Uh, you're you're shooting at uh, 400. That's that's probably that's, ISO that's 100. 100, I'm on, really? I'm it's, on strobe. We just. Oh, you're on strobe. Yeah, so got he, it. He got it. Do you have because you, right. you're not. That's right. I forgot. You're not on continuous light. But I just you wouldn't. Nobody else. I'm sure others got the players. But look at the expressions of the, the fans. Story of it. It, it's the really is the story. The the ref, the 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 guys in the front row. It's just dramatic as heck. Um, amazing shot. And and then this this player. There's a, a fan up here. Uh, I, mean, I just love it. I just love it. It's Norman okay. Rockwell. And Thanks. you you know and again I I could see where it's planning because you don't know. In a basketball game, there's no finish line. You don't know where that's that, that's going to happen. Well, you can have a pretty good idea they're going to come to the hoop because they're always going to come to the right. hoop. Right. But this is not at the hoop. No, but it's about ten feet in front of right, it. Right. Right. But you know, so you're, you know, you're sitting there with. That's why you have that zoom in your hand. So, do you like playing with gear as much as you like taking photos? Not really. No. Really? Come on, no. you're a gadget hound. I can tell you already. Nope. You're talking about all the cool technology you're going to yeah. bring to the Olympics. I want to know. This is interesting. So you went to you went to school for economics, and then you went to law school. Mm -hmm. Oh, that explains a lot. Well, well, you're very well, detail oriented, right? Yeah. So tell us. I am. Yeah. What 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 caused the change of course of action? Uh... Do you know any lawyers? Yeah, no, just I don't know any happy lawyers. Let's the happiest lawyers I know are former lawyers. Yeah, no, I, you know, 
the the education process is uh you know it's just something you have to go through and and you know i loved i loved my time at the university of mississippi i loved oh, i loved arizona state where i went to undergraduate school i loved university of kansas when i was in school there you know i got a, i have a degree from kansas in journalism i have a degree from arizona state in economics i loved all these experiences so it's uh you know it's 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 all about just opening your mind to the different possibilities i think and and i, I mean i continue to study every single day i i spend uh i spend about an hour every day uh doing some sort of technical study you know trying to stay really wow yeah you have to you know that's that's just how it goes you if you don't this is one of the reasons i don't mind sharing with people because i i i can i can fairly well guarantee that that at any given event, there's going to be there, there's going to be there are going to be lots of different photographers there, and there are going to be a lot of people that are gonna they're going to have incredible talent. There's going to be a lot of people that that have the ability to make good images, but there are very few people that are going to have the determination and the stamina right. and the strength to work it all all the way through the do way you, I'm going to. Do you think you're smarter than most of your? Uh, I won't say colleagues, competitors. We know your colleagues are all smart, but it sounds like you're very uh, intellectual about this as well. I mean, look, every photographer has to have a heart. Yeah. But uh, it sounds like you've also, uh, I mean, an hour of study a day? Pretty much. You know, whether I'm smarter or not isn't really the issue. The issue is whether or not I'm better prepared. And I, I would say that, yes, I'm probably better prepared than okay. most, of the, most of the people that I'm competing you with. you got to be the hardest working guy out there. You know, there's a there's a few others that are that work pretty hard. I mean, Heinz Klutmeyer was a huge a huge uh, influencer. You guys are having a good giggle. I'm, I'm looking at your Calaveras County. Uh, it's got to be the jumping uh, frog competition. This woman, it is. <laughs> she's yelling at the frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually in Ohio, but yeah, I got All it right. from the, I got it from Mark Twain. You're yeah, absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know, like you deal with somebody like Heinz Klutmeyer or any one of it, you know, I'm, I'm online a lot uh, at night editing and I'll look over and, and the names of my friends that pop up uh, at two and three and four in the morning are the names of the people that you would expect to the best, you know, a lot of the best mm -hmm. photographers in the industry. I mean, I last night, middle of the night, I was I was doing some I was working on a, a project I have and see david burnett over there you know yeah, yeah you know or you know tyler hicks might jump on or you know i mean who knows who's you know and, and i'm not talking to these guys every time i see them online or anything i mean in fact i don't even know the last i think i've talked to tyler a handful of times in my life but we're facebook friends and I'll, i see him on there and i know that he's working somewhere and i know that that you know david turnley that who's a fantastic photographer his twin brother peter turnley you know, they're two of the world's best photographers. I see them online at, at two, three, four in the morning, and you know, I can see from their comments that they're they're stateside, so they're not. You know, it's not like they're you know in in Europe or Asia. And it's it's later in the day. They're they're here and and they're working because that's the time to get stuff done. And and that's how it is with I think with a lot of the people that are really good. If you look at, you know, I've had the good fortune during my career to know guys like Eddie Adams and Gordon Parks. And mm. that's what they're doing. You know, they're, they were working all the time. You, you couldn't have a conversation with Gordon when he wasn't creating something or Bill Epridge or, you know, these guys are all in motion all the time. And when I say guys, by the way, I'm using that as a unisex term because I'm from the Midwest. So it's a, uh, and this isn't just males. This is, 
uh, most of my friends that I that I my my colleagues in the industry are working really hard. That's it's just part and parcel of how this goes, you know. I'll see SI's riders online. I, you know, it's it's hard to get away from it. Yeah. You live, breathe your oh, look experience at that shot. through it. Yeah. Well, sure. You know, I mean, my wife's a television news anchor. You know. Uh, how do you she, have a wife? That's the question. She's busy. I got I got lucky with that. That's for sure. Where Where does she work? Uh, she works uh, for CBS ah. uh, in yeah. Florida. Cool. So you gave us two images that uh, are two of your favorites. And now I'm thinking that this baby must be yours. Which one? It's a baby in a chair. And it looks like a hospital bed. Or it's a bed, a hospital bed, all by her, herself. That's my daughter, Havana. I had a feeling. That's neat. I guessed right. I love that angle and just showing how tiny she is, you know. Yeah, she was was five minutes old. Wow. Do photographers' children have lots of pictures taken of them or none at all? Well, mine does. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> and, and from some of the Christmas cards I, I get, I'm guessing that some of them photograph their kids. You know, it's, it's interesting to have, to have this kind of a lifestyle. You know, I mean... You even travel though, a lot. I mean, you're not a Yeah, a lot of... Um, a lot of the, the process is, is that even though we're talking... It seems like you're talking to me about photography right now. When I'm with my friends, for the most part, we're not talking about photography uh, necessarily. You know, I mean, we'll, we share information pretty openly and pretty freely. But tonight, I'm going to, there's a, one of the, there's two photographers that I'm planning to have to see tonight in, when I, when I go out. One is Ted Kirk and one's Joel Sartori. And they both live in Lincoln. They're both guys that have been friends with me, Ted, for at least three or three decades or more, Joel, for probably the same. And Ted is the chief photographer at the Lincoln Journal Star, and he's one of the best newspaper sports photographers in America. And just an all-around good good photographer. But, I mean, when you see his sports stuff, he's just like, wow. And it's a name that you probably haven't heard a lot. You should have, but he works He works for the Journal Star, does some does some really beautiful corporate aviation stuff. But he's low-key. He's not entering a lot of contests. He's not doing a lot of self-promoting. He's, he's running a photo department and making a lot of other people's lives better. And he's shooting brilliant images that the people of Lincoln get to absorb all the time. Joel Sartori, of course, is one of the stars of the National Geographic. And we've all known each other for a long time. We're all friends. And when we go, when we go into when Laura Heald, who works with me a lot uh, from Sports Illustrated, we're going to drive from Omaha down to Lincoln and see those guys tonight. And my guess is that other than a cursory, they'll have some questions for me about the D4 because I did the, the worldwide launch of the D4 for Nikon. And so I've had, I'm about 100, 150,000 frames into those cameras already. And very few other people have actually seen them. So they're going to have some questions about them, about what they can do and stuff like that. Once we get through with that, we're going to talk about Nebraska football. We're going to talk about the weather. We're going to talk parents, grandparents. We'll talk about Joel's kids. They're going to want to know about Havana. And we're going to talk with Ted. Ted is almost guaranteed to to bring me a list of new music I need to listen to because he's <laughs> that's great. He's the guy, and probably some novels, and I'll do the same for him. And and I don't know what Joel's going to going to bring. Probably 
you know, some sort of aggravation of some kind. I just saw Joel to, at a seminar at the National Geographic a few weeks ago. But that's what we do. I mean, one of my best friends is a guy named Todd Coral. He's one of the best photographers in Western Canada. But he's not my friend because he's one of the best photographers in Western Canada. We've been friends since he was 21 years old. And he asked me some questions. I guess I was 26 or 27. And we just started corresponding. And I don't know the last time we talked purely about photography. We talked about the guys that are really good at this. And again, I want to emphasize, when I say guys, I'm not talking about men. It's, I'm talking about the people that are really good at this aren't talking about how. We're talking about why. We're talking about social issues. We're talking about artistic issues. We're talking about the things that motivate us, that want to help us contribute to society, the visual, the visual imprint that we're going to leave on society. So when I talk to Todd... I'm not talking to him about what camera he's using. I'm talking to him about what he photographed and why and what the story was and what mm. the evolution of the story was. And, and that's, that's, you know, we're journalists and storytellers. We're not talking technique. Unless somebody has a specific question that they can't resolve, we don't, you know, we just don't talk about those things. I can't even tell you what cameras Todd's shooting with right now. And he's been one of my, you know, if, if you know, this is a morbid way to put it, but if I died tomorrow, Todd would be a pallbearer. And I don't know what kind of cameras he's using, <laughs> even though even though he's actively engaged in making photographs 310, 320 days a year, like right. I am. Right. No idea because it just doesn't come up. Right. I know what he's shooting. I know what he's been working on. He's just coming off the World Curling Championships, which I think is pretty funny. But, you know, <laughs> that's an action works, sport. Yeah. <laughs> he works for he works for Reuter a lot and he's yeah. based in Canada. So that's what they do. Uh, you know, like, go, you going know, on that, going on that, Bill. Um, I have a quote from your, about your mom that I thought would be suited for this. Many years ago, Agnes Franks, Frakes, excuse me, not Franks. Many years ago, Agnes Frakes pointed out images all around her tiny Nebraska town to her four-year-old son, Bill. A cat's shadow, a pool of oil beneath the car, his own name etched in a cookie tray of caramel popcorn. The boy looked at the objects and saw nothing. Look again, she said. There's always more there than what you see with your eyes. So what is that? Can you explain that to us? And how did you well, learn to see? Well, I don't know which, which part you want to explain. I mean, that was written by a, an author. Uh, his name is James McBride. And uh, that was from the foreword to a book. Uh, he's... There's a, he, one of the books he's most famous for is a, a book called the the, uh, the Color of Water, which is a a tribute to his mother. Um, and he's a you know he's a he's a you know he he's a New Yorker. He, uh, he I don't know how to explain it. He's he's an extremely important uh, writer and author. You know he's. More or less my age. He he writes biographies, memoirs, nonfiction, basically. And you know, he was a staff writer. I, I think pretty sure he was at the Washington Post and in the Boston Globe. I can't can't remember. You know, I, I've seen his work in Essence, Rolling Stone, the New York Times, uh, National Geographic. He did a I did a story called Hip Hop Nation. You know, this is this is a tremendous writer. And so when they did this book, uh uh was called Family, and it was it's a compilation of works by a whole number of photographers. And when he wrote the foreword, I was one of the people he called the interview, and he called my mom, and, and he talked to her, and she talked to him uh, about 
me growing up and and what it was like when I was a little boy. And he asked me some questions about what that was like too. You know, when you grow up in a place like Western Nebraska, it's it's different than it's a different existence than if you're growing up in New York City, for example, because there's not nearly the same kind of artificial stimuli everywhere. There's not pizzerias and heck, I think the first time I had pizza was you know, in, in my hometown was in when I was a either ninth or tenth grade when a pizzeria finally came to town. It just, there wasn't one. And, you know, I didn't first time I saw a bagel I was eighteen. <laughs> you know, I was visiting a friend out at Stanford. And I I remember that. It's a seminal a very important moment for me the first time I had a bagel because I've had a lot since then. <laughs> but it's the beginning but, of a you know, great friendship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, at least he did something useful for our friendship. But no, he's one of my best friends for life. But anyway, you know, so, you know, when you grow up in a town like that, there's not, you know, there's a lot of wonderfulness there, but there's no, there's no skyscrapers there. You know, we had, you know, you have a movie theater, you don't, you don't have a lot of the same kinds of things. There's no giant libraries, there's no theater, you know, there's no ethnic restaurants, you know, there's, there's just not, none of those things that you, you know, that you think about is with visual diversity and, and it's just a very uh, simple existence. But the one thing you grow up with when you grow up in that environment is a complete absence of fear. Mm. There was nothing there that would ever want to hurt me outside mm. of a few wild animals, mm-hmm. you know? And so I grew up with a real openness mentally and uh, physically in terms of approaching things. There's, there's no place that I'm afraid to go. There's no one I'm afraid to talk to, you know. I'm I'm just as I'll walk up to anybody on the street and start talking to them. And when you're a photojournalist, and as I said, I still consider myself a photojournalist, even though I deal in other genres of work. My my heart is that of a photojournalist, and and so I think that the most important thing to be successful in this is the ability to fall in love every day. If you can do that, and you have the right kinds of talent, you can be pretty successful as a photographer. Drive, dedication, and the ability to fall in love every day. And so I was fortunate. My mother was a tremendous visual artist in her own right. She's not, you know, recognized or anything like that, but there was nothing my mom couldn't make or build or sculpt or figure out. If she saw something, she could construct it with paper or with cloth or with wood or with metal. Mm. And and she spent 50 years as an educator, actually probably more than that, because uh, she was still doing some substitute administrating and, and uh, teaching up right until right before she died when she was 84. And they would still ask her to come back to schools and teach. So my mom was a teacher her entire life, you know. And I got the benefit of having that every single day. And I didn't know when I was one that she was raising me to be an artist, but that's precisely what she was doing. You are fortunate indeed, and so are we. I was, absolutely. These images, uh, you are a photojournalist, absolutely. Every image I'm looking, and uh, if people haven't gone to your website, go to BillFrakes.com and uh, just browse the images. You've blessed us with hundreds of really, each one, I don't know, you probably heard me gasping every every yeah, few seconds. I've, I've because, gone and looked at Leah with my mouth open. Uh, just incredible. Uh, dramatic stories. Um, some of them make you laugh, some of them make you gasp. Just really great stuff, and... Bill, well, it's, thank really, you very it's, much. it's been such a pleasure talking to you. We have his tips really quick. I just All right, let's get through. three tips from Bill Frakes. Um, when you have great light, look 180 degrees the other direction. Hmm. You want to elaborate, Bill? 
Well, if you're looking at something you really love and the, because and you're and you're loving it because of how the light works, if you turn around and look over your shoulder, chances are that light's going to be diametrically opposite but equally great in the other direction. Oh, great. I love that. So do you shoot the way you like it and then you kind of challenge yourself to turn around? Sometimes because you know, you know when you're being a photojournalist or you know when you're charged with a certain kind of communication responsibility where you know you have to communicate things in different fashions and maybe maybe looking at something soft and backlit really isn't what's happening there maybe you need to see it in full on frontal light so sometimes i'll i'll change just because you know you don't want to write the same way every single time right the other thing is that sometimes you know if you're just looking at it, something that's beautiful yeah i just still turn because i want to make pictures i just you know and it's not just a, you know in this particular case it's about my pictures but you know i you know the one question you guys didn't ask that i expected you to ask was that you know how much i like photography in general and i probably have in the neighborhood of 400 i'm sorry 4000 to 5000 photo books wow you know i have i have an immense library my friend martin gisborne from apple uh, says that of all the people he's been around, I have one of the two or three biggest collections, and he knows a lot of people, uh, and he likes books, so I, I trust his uh, his analysis of that. Um, you know, I mean, I can't wait. Like one of my friend, one of my friends will have a, a new book out. Howard Schatz, for example, just has a has a fairly new book out called With Child. You know, I I couldn't, you know, I could have called Howard and said, Hey, when you get one in, let me have it, and he. I'm sure would have accommodated me because that's how he is. But I didn't do that. I went to the bookstore practically daily for three weeks until I finally got my hands on a copy because I wanted to look at it before I called it. Mm. And, uh, you know, and like everything else he does, it was brilliant. So I got to call him and say, hey, just look at your new book. It was brilliant. You know, and so there you go. That's that's just part of part and parcel of the whole photography thing. And, and you get that. This this spins back to the looking at like thing. Because I learned that lesson looking at Bill Epridge's work. Epridge would shoot something, and then I would you'd look over your you'd, you'd look at his contact sheets, which I had the good fortune to do more than once, and I would see him spinning around, and, and all of a sudden the light would be perfect in the opposite direction, but the message was completely different. I thought, wow, that's interesting. And so just from watching that on his contact sheets, I was able to Gene Smith, same thing, and you know I was able to to learn it from that. So it's it's not really something I figured out. It's something I got from somebody else. Great. Um, so your second tip is pay attention to where you are physically. Yeah, if you're if you're that was a sports photographer tip. Yeah. If you're if you're or a photojournalist tip, I suppose. But you know, a lot of the things that I do, whether I'm on the sidelines of a football game or if I'm covering a conflict or a natural disaster, if you make a mistake and you step in the wrong place, you're going to get hurt. And so is somebody else. Additionally speaking, if you're at a sporting event and you step out, your your lack, your callous lack of respect for everybody else, you can end up blocking everybody else's shot, the right. people that, that didn't step across the line. See that a lot. And it's very frustrating. And this is a big one, and I totally agree. You support Swin capturing video. Yep. That's that's pretty much no handheld video, huh? Well, I mean, sometimes that's why I said most of the time, you know, I mean, there's there's a time when when, you know, you I just did a just completed a music video with Violante Placido, who's a Italian movie star. And we 
there's a chase scene in this in this music video where we needed to put a handheld camera in there because we wanted to have be a little bit in motion and and you wanted it to look like it was running with her. So we did that. It wouldn't have looked they wouldn't have had the same emotion if it was uh, you know, on a support. But most of the time, putting it on a tripod, a jib, a slider, a crane, a dolly, it's a good idea. I agree. Because if you know, you, you got to do it. Otherwise, you're going to get seasick. And, it, and you know, it's just lazy not to. Shaky Cam got, yeah. uh, you know, MTV kind of got uh, everybody, got, it became a fashion. Yeah. But I, I'm I, with you. When you see it done right, when it's smooth, it's just like. Well, mm. but, and if you look at, uh, at uh, Bill's pictures, there's such detail, such crispness, such, uh, you know, um, you can see, you know, you want the same in video. You yeah. want to, you want that, that detail and uh, and you can only do that if it's so Bill, do you use the Cinevate table dolly the most or what are you using typically to stabilize well, you ask for an unusual piece of gear and you specifically ask about in the camera bag okay, okay. um the table dolly is uh, a great little uh, it's a slider basically and it you know you can put it on high tension wires you can put it on a couple pieces of pvc pipe or you can just put it flat on the floor and roll it along and so it's got a lot of different applications the piece of gear that I use most of the time for doing these, this kind of work is actually the Cinevate Atlas 200, which is a big, heavy slider. But that's a chassis and rail system that, you know, we use it a lot with nine-foot rails. And I don't know what those solid, you know, stainless steel rails weigh, but I'm guessing each one of the, each one of the rails is 60 pounds, 70 pounds. So you have two of them. You're at 140 pounds, and then you've got you have to sit it on something, and you've got the chassis which weighs eight or nine pounds. So that's what I usually use when I'm, you know, and we'll lock that down and use it like a tripod, uh, you know, or you know, we'll, you know, we'll we usually put a fluid head on there. Most of the time, I'm putting a Manfrotto 509 fluid head on, uh, and sometimes, sometimes I support it on Apple crates, sometimes I support it on other tripods, but. That doesn't really fit in my camera bag, so that's why I didn't mention it. Got it. That'd be a big camera bag. Some of these, uh, I'm looking at uh, some of the videos on Strat Visuals, and the Istanbul video, I think, had some slider-style uh, video in it. Where yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah, we used a couple different ones there. We, t- we had... There's a we jib took, right there. Yeah, that's a, that's a big Jimmy jib yep. that we rented in Istanbul. Uh, we didn't bring a jib with us. Here in the States, we use a different kind. We use an easy effects jib, which is for a still photographer that's, you know, working. Because I'm not working with a big crew most of the time. I'm working with a very small crew, usually two or three people. Because depending on who I'm working for, whether it's broadcast television or if it's SI.com or if I'm doing an iPad piece, or something, unless I'm doing a full-blown ad, we're usually working with two or three people because we've got to get in and out and the budgets are smaller. Mm-hmm. So we, we use things that are controllable. Yeah. We use a Kessler crane a little bit. Have, we have a Kressler crane with two oracles that we used a lot in Istanbul. We got to run because uh, there's another show coming up. But it has been such a pleasure, Bill, to talk to you. And, and as Thanks. we've been talking, we've been browsing around uh, the site, and I uh, there's still so much more that we didn't get to show, especially the the video that you shoot. Uh, yeah, that's very inspiring. I'd almost want him to come back just to talk about shooting video because. Uh, now with this D800, and uh, uh, it's just everybody's well, shooting video. It's a, and it's a very interesting and challenging thing to do. And all the, well, the um, behind-the-scenes shot videos are really neat to watch as well. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. I, 
had a lot of fun. We did that that Istanbul video was done with the Nikon D4, which I understand, as I mentioned, about an hour and a half ago or whenever we started. <laughs> I think they're actually shipping that this week, so I'm pretty that's, excited that's about that. That's the rumor, yeah, at the end of the week. Yeah, uh, well. And the D800 soon, too, apparently, which is... Hope so. Yeah. I'm anxious to get Want my hands on them. That, as we all it's are. great stuff. As we all are. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, Bill. Thank you so much. B-I-L-L-F-R-A-K-E-S dot com. Do go, go see this amazing stuff. Uh, just incredible footage. Uh, and uh, enjoy uh, your, your return to Nebraska. Uh, you know, it's the wrong end of the state, but I will. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> One, Thanks, they may not Bill. have pizza, but they got a lot of corn. I know that. Thank you, Bill. You're welcome. All right, take care. Bye. <sighs> BillFrakes.com, Frakes.com. I got his name wrong. And one last time, just to give him yeah. something to chew on. And then also, on. Um, Trey last night for his variety hour, he talked about camera insurance. So I think that's a, that was that's an interesting subject, wasn't it? And he was talking about it because his D3X got damaged in Hawaii, yeah. and uh, he was wondering, geez, well, because it was I... rainy and rainy. Yeah, man. So. Catherine Hall is at CatherineHall.net. That's her website. Go there to find out more and see her portfolio. Some great images. Um, and, and then next, next week, week, we have Peter Krog in studio. My favorite guy. I know. The author of the Digital Asset Management yeah, book. Yeah, so it should be fun next and week. And another great photographer in terms of creativity. He's always thinking of different ways to shoot things. He should be a lot of fun. Peter yeah. Krog joins us next He's week. He's coming to see you, Leo. And I love Peter. It'll be yeah. great to see so him again. I haven't seen one. him since Australia. This is one of my favorite Bill Frakes images. We'll leave you with this one. The girl and fish. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like the tiara. I don't know why, but the tiara really makes that shot. It does. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you tune in every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern for Twit Photo. And if you have missed any of our many episodes, you'll find them all at twit.tv. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, we'll see Leo. you next Thank week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.